Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Hey, before you're seated, uh, kids, you are dismissed if you would like to go. I know it's a little bit different these days, but kids, if you want to go to children's ministry, you are free to go now. Remembering you're in some different rooms. All right, then you can be seated, the rest of you, grown-ups. <clears throat> All right, well, good morning, everyone. Salam adarachu. Salam alachu. Ziabani meskin. What a joy to be able to come together in church this morning uh, during the Christmas season to worship our Lord together. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Steve. I'm one of the elders here, and it is a great privilege to be able to uh, open up God's Word to you this morning. I'm excited to, uh, to be sharing God's Word today. Um, you know, so just a second ago, in my uh, poor Amharic pronunciation, I used a phrase that hopefully, if you've lived in Ethiopia for any length of time, you know, because it's how we greet one another in Ethiopia, we say some version of salam. Aydel? Salam alachu, salam anam. A lot of ways to say salam. So my question is, here's a quiz for you. What does the word salam mean? Peace. Gobazoshnachu. You're a good class this morning. Peace, right? So I love that in Ethiopia, when we greet someone, we greet them by saying, peace to you. We say, do you have peace? Is there peace? Hey, peace. It's a beautiful expression that we do. And know, what you might not know is that this is actually not unique to Ethiopia. You know, if you go anywhere in the Arabic-speaking world, they use a very similar expression, salam. So if you would go to someplace in, in the Middle East or the Arabic-speaking world, they would say, assalamu alaikum. All right, don't get nervous. I think you get nervous saying that in church. It's okay. It just means, <laughs> that just means peace be upon you, assalamu alaikum, based on salam. And what you might know is that both in Amharic and in Arabic, that word salam comes from the Hebrew word Shalom. So if you were to go to Israel today and greet on the street, you would say shalom, which means peace, right? So I love that in our expressions of greeting, in many parts of the world, we say peace. And by the way, it's not just the Semitic languages. If you go to the Korean Peninsula, you know how you greet? Annyeong haseo. I'm sorry, that's very bad in my career. Close? I'm a Korean friend. Okay, it's close, right? And you know what that means? Peace. If you go to my country and you go to the great state of Hawaii out in the middle of the ocean, you greet each other and you say, aloha, which means, can you guess, peace, right? All over the world, this is how we greet one another, by wishing peace upon them. And there's a reason why we do that. That is because there is something deep in us as human beings that longs for peace. We all want peace for ourselves and we wish it upon other people because it is a deep value in our lives. And yet, here's the reality. As much as we want peace, it is so hard to find. We say it all day long, peace, do you have peace? Hey, peace, peace. And yet the reality, so many of us live with all sorts of conflict, conflict within ourselves conflict with other people. We live in a world that is full of brokenness and not peace. But today we're going to be looking again at the Christmas story and we're going to see that there is a hope for 
peace. We're going to be looking at God's Word today, and we want to see actually what is this peace the Bible talks about? How do we find it? How do we attain it? And how does that affect our lives? And we're going to see uh, that today in one of the beautiful songs of Christmas. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we started a series over, the, over December of the holidays called The Real Songs of Christmas. And I love this because, you know, in, in my culture where I come from, in America, music is a big part of the Christmas holiday, right? We have certain songs that we only sing, that we only listen to on the radio, only during this time of year. But when they, those music uh, comes on, we all just feel this, this great uh, connection and warmth because they're Christmas songs, and we love them. And that's true of, of a lot of cultures. You know, in America, we have some, some beautiful Christmas songs that are full and rich in meaning, like we sang this morning, Oh Holy Night. I mean, that song is like a theology textbook. It's rich with meaning. Uh, angels we have heard on high, so much beautiful meaning in them, right? Now, we also have, like, Jingle Bells and Grandma Got Run Over by the Reindeer, right? So we have some, if you don't know that, it's a weird song. I don't know where it comes from, but we have some songs that don't really have much meaning. And again, in Ethiopia, we do the same thing. We have Desi Balen, Desi Balen. I won't sing it for you, right? But we have an Ethiopian Christmas song, beautiful meaning. But uh, then we also have some with, with less meaning. Asina Bel, Asina Genae, Min Marat Noalaukum. I have no idea what it means, but we sing it at Christmas, right? So I think the reason why we do this, the reason why we have Christmas songs, it's rooted in the fact that in the Bible, the Christmas story is full of songs. And that's what we're looking at in these series. We are singing these, we're, we're seeing these songs that come out of, in particular, the book of Luke. And so the last couple of weeks, we saw the song of Elizabeth, and we saw the song of Mary. Next week, we're going to see the song of Zechariah and then the song of Simeon. But today, we are looking at the song of the angels, which is a song of peace. You see, each one of these songs, it sort of, it highlights, it brings to life one of these spiritual truths that is only fully experienced because of the birth of Jesus. So because of Jesus, we can have joy, we can have hope, we can have trust, mama, we can have this, these things all that are rooted in the birth of Jesus. And today we're going to see the angels come and they sing this beautiful song of peace that comes to us because of the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to be looking today in, in Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, Luke chapter 2. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to stand and read the text. But before we get to that, I want to kind of set up the context for you in Luke chapter 2. This is a, a chapter that hopefully is very familiar to you because it's one we read every year at Christmas. We always read the Christmas story. So hopefully it, it sounds familiar to you. But in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we find out that Caesar Augustus uh, issued a decree that a census would be taken. So everyone had to return to their hometown to register for the census, right? And then verse 3, 4, we discover Mary and Joseph, who were betrothed. Last week, Pastor Steve described what that meant, were betrothed. They had to return to Bethlehem to register. So they take this journey there. When they arrive in Bethlehem, because everyone else is coming to town, the place is packed. Bethlehem is a small little village, but, but the, all the hotels, all the inns, all the houses were full. And so Mary and Joseph end up having to stay in a house for animals, in a barn, in the place where the animals sleep. And while they are there, uh, in, in that terrible environment for a baby, Mary goes into labor, 
and little baby Jesus is born. And it says, she wrapped him in cloth and she lays him in this makeshift crib called a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. So it's, it's already kind of a, a strange, unique, beautiful night. But as this evening unfolds, something truly amazing happens. And we pick up on that in Luke chapter 2 in verse 8. So I'm going to ask you to stand now for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. This is the Word of the Lord. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and all God's people said, Praise be to God. You may be seated. God in heaven, we do... Thank you for your word. Truly, your word is a gift to us because while we were lost and hopeless in the dark, longing for truth, you came and you have revealed yourself to us, and we have that in the gift of your word. And so we thank you for this opportunity now, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that your word would speak to us today. So we commit ourselves to you. We commit our, our hearts and our lives to you during this time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be our teacher today. Reveal your word to us. Teach us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, in this passage, again, it's, it's quite familiar to us, but there's several things that I just want to make sure we kind of understand at, at the beginning here as we dive into this passage, because there are some things that, that are pretty noteworthy. One of those things, we sort of gloss over the fact that the angels chose to appear to shepherds. That's, that's very familiar to us at, at this point, so we don't really think about that, but that really was pretty shocking. That's because in those days, the shepherds were the lowliest people in society. They were the outcasts. They were the untouchables. No one wanted to be around the shepherds. And in fact, they were considered so lowly that their testimony wasn't allowed in court. The judge would say, who is this guy? They said, he's just a shepherd. Get, get him out of here. That's how people viewed the shepherds. And so think about that. The angels could have appeared to any number of people. They could have appeared to the politicians or to the musicians or to the teachers or to the religious scholars or in the capital city. Instead, they come to this little village outside Bethlehem and they appear to the shepherds. It's just yet another little reminder in God's word that his heart is for the lowly. That God doesn't look at the world the way so often we look at the world. It's not like God values the rich and the powerful more than the lowly. God values all people. And so I think here's a little way which God reminds us of that by coming to the shepherds. And also notice, I think it's interesting, the shepherds' response when the angel shows up. Again, just, just picture the scene. You're with your shepherd buddies out there at night. It's probably a little cold. They probably have a fire going out there, and they're sitting around, who knows, talking, talking about politics, sports, I don't know, telling jokes, maybe they're half asleep, who knows, just a normal calm evening out in the field, and 
all of a sudden, like the light just fills the sky with this incredible light. And it's blinding, and through that, that light, the Shekinah glory of God, they, they can just make out there is an angel in the middle of that light. And it says they are terrified. You would be too, right? Rightly so. This was a freaky scene, and especially because in those days, most people associated angels with a message of judgment. When an angel showed up to you, it usually wasn't a good day. That meant he was bringing God's wrath, God's judgment. And that's why the angel has to say to him, hey, no, 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 don't worry. Don't be afraid. I'm here to bring good news to you. And that's a reminder of the good news of the message of salvation. So many of us live in this this fear of God, an unhealthy fear that somehow he's just out to get us. But we see the heart of God, which is that he has come to give us good news. And finally, one more thing I think it's important to note is to put yourself in the shoes of those shepherds and remember what it is that they were looking for in a Messiah. The Jewish people in those days were looking for a Messiah who would come and be a a mighty political leader, a warrior king who would come and, and kick the Romans' butt and finally restore Israel to its rightful place of glory and honor. That's what they wanted. So they were expecting the Messiah to roll in in a big fancy motorcade. Or like in a fighter jet landing on the aircraft carrier, right? Like that's what they were expecting. And instead the angel says, hey, the Messiah is here. It's a little baby in a feeding trough in this backwater town of Bethlehem over there. So imagine what the shepherds were like, wait a minute, this does not compute. This is not what I'm expecting. This doesn't make sense. And again, this is a reminder to us that so often we have our own ways of thinking that God should act. We have our culturally driven assumptions that this is what God is like and this is what God should do for us. And sometimes God works in a way that's far different than our assumptions. And so we can't view God through the lens of culture or our own desires. We view the reality of God through the truth of Scripture alone. And so just imagine that scene. Again, they're out there. They're confused what's happening. And then it gets even more crazy because in the midst of this, there was this one angel there saying, don't be afraid. And when he gets done, all of a sudden it says, now the sky fills up. And now there's not one. There is a host of angels, a multitude of angels. That could be thousands, millions of angels. And they all start singing this beautiful song together saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. This is an amazing event on so many levels. There's a reason why it's so uh, central to the Christmas story. But don't miss that the climax of this event, where all of this is leading to, is this glorious song of the angels, where they proclaim, Jesus is here, the Messiah is here, therefore, there's peace. So what does that really mean? What do you think the angels wanted to come into our mind when they said the word peace? Because this word peace can have a lot of different meanings. A lot of different things and ideas can come into our mind when we hear peace. So what did those angels have in mind? What is peace according to the Bible? Well, biblically, the idea of peace 
is rooted in this word I mentioned earlier, shalom. Shalom is the word for peace in, in the Hebrew language. And all throughout the Bible, peace is spoken of with this word, shalom. And shalom is a very rich and beautiful word. On one hand, it does mean a, a lack of conflict. There's no war. The conflict is absent, but it's much deeper than that. It goes beyond that, and shalom means wholeness, completeness, fullness, flourishing, wellness. My favorite definition I heard many years ago, someone said shalom means nothing is lost, nothing is broken, everything is as it should be. This is the way God intended it. That's shalom. We see shalom in the Garden of Eden when God created everything and he looked and he said, behold, everything, this is very good. Everything was just as God intended. Now, throughout the Bible, this word shalom is used in different ways. Sometimes it's used as a greeting. Sometimes it's used to, to describe the end of hostilities between two warring armies of this king defeated this king and then there was shalom. But the majority of the time, the word shalom speaks to this idea of, of wellness or prosperity. We're told to pray for the shalom of a city, the peace and the prosperity of a city. We were told to pursue this shalom in relationships. Maybe the most meaningful way we see it is in the famous ironic blessing in Numbers chapter 6, the, the prayer of Aaron. And he says this prayer, maybe you know it. He says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord, Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom. That's the prayer. And so if you think about that, that prayer, God's blessing, his protection, his favor, this idea that God is turning away from you and turning toward you and his face is shining on you, all of that is capsulated in this idea of shalom. And this is what the angels were talking about. This is the, the, the idea that God came to bring us. And this is great, right? This is what we all want. We'd say, amen, angels, awesome. But yet, again, when we look around our life, it often feels like, where is it? Wait a minute, angels, you said 2,000 years ago, peace on earth. Doesn't seem like that right now. Look around this world, it seems like we have the farthest thing from shalom. You know, of course, we think right now of the war going on between Israel and Palestine. We think of the, the fighting between Russia and Ukraine. But you know, the Council on Foreign Affairs actually identifies that there are more than 100 active armed conflicts going on in the world today. And seven of those are considered major conflicts. A major conflict is where more than 10,000 people have died. And so yes, we think of Israel and Palestine and Russia, Ukraine, but we also think of Myanmar, Sudan, conflict in North Africa, and sadly, Ethiopia is on that list. So we don't have to look very far to know the pain that comes when shalom is not there. But it's not just armed war that demonstrates a lack of peace. We also are seeing increases in hate crimes in domestic abuse, 
in mass shootings. Just this week, we saw another painful mass shooting in Prague. In our homes, studies show that there is a dramatic rise of, of family conflict, of, of divorce. And in addition to that, there is, there is this inner conflict that seems to grow within us. There is a, an increase in anxiety and in depression and in stress and in anger and addiction and suicide. All of these flow from this inner turmoil that so many people live in. Just stop and make this personal for a moment for you. In your own life, are you experiencing shalom right now? Is your life more characterized by that peace and that fullness and that flourishing? Or is it more characterized by stress and anxiety and, and fear? For so many people, including Christians, if we're honest, we struggle with this. Because we hear what the angels declare and we want that. But we say, but where is it? Where is this peace? For, for whom is this peace? Well, as we continue to explore that, let me just point out a few things that this peace is not. I think it's important to see this because we can be confused by this. So what is this passage not saying? First, this peace is not primarily about political peace. Now, we all want political peace. We all desire that. But again, that's not what the angels are proclaiming here, right? You don't have to look very far in history. Not long after this, uh, we see more conflict, and the world has remained at, at political conflict ever since. And in fact, the Bible says things are going to get worse, not better, before the end. Now, the Bible does say that a day will come when there will be perfect political world peace, and it will only come because we'll be under one king, King Jesus, in his kingdom. But until that, we're never going to experience world as much as we might want it. It's never going to happen. So it's not talking about political peace. It's also not primarily about inner peace. This isn't primarily about that emotional peace, that, that mental well-being we desire. You know, we, we have all this anxiety and this stress. It's a, it's a reality that we live in, and we desire for there to be that sense of harmony within us. And that's a good thing, but that's not primarily what this passage is talking about. And finally, it's also not primarily talking about relational peace. As much as we want there to be peace among ourselves, peace within our families and our friends and our communities, that's actually not the primary meaning of this passage. So political peace, inner peace, relational peace, these are all good things. And we desire these things. And there's a place for those things. We're going to see that later. But they are not the primary meaning of peace in the Bible and in this passage in Luke chapter 2. So what sort of peace did the angels have in mind? Well, we don't have to guess. Let's look back in the text. So look back in, in the book of Luke. And in fact, go back a little bit to the left to chapter 1. In the end of chapter 1, we see one of these songs, the song of Zechariah. And again, this is what Pastor Steve is going to be talking about next week, so I'm not going to steal too much, but this is what we're going to see next week. At the end of that song of Zechariah, what's happening is Zechariah is a prophet, and he's, he's prophesying about what is going to happen when, when Jesus is born in the very next chapter. And so in Luke chapter 1 and verse 77, he says about Jesus, he's coming to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Verse 79, to guide our feet into the path of peace. It says Jesus is going to come to bring salvation, and not political salvation here. 
It says the forgiveness of sin. And that is what it's going to lead to peace. Now go back to our our main verse here, chapter 2, verse 14, where the angels say, peace on earth. And what do they say? Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Now, this one's a little bit tricky because this is actually kind of a bit of a a hard translation thing going on here. And many of you, if you're like me, you grew up with a slightly different version of that. You grew up with the older version, which is peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Right? That's how a lot of us know that verse. But actually, uh, what we see here in, in the more modern translations is much more of an accurate translation. It's not just this general sense of goodwill toward men. It means there is goodwill, God has favor and blessing on a certain type of people. God's peace comes to those on whom His favor rests. You see that? So what it implies here is that there are a couple different kinds of people in the world. There are some people on whom God's favor rests, and then there's everyone else on whom God's favor does not rest. And this peace He is talking about, it only is for those people with whom God is pleased or with whom has His favor. You see that? So who are these people? Who's He talking about here? The Bible makes it very clear. The people, the only people with whom God is pleased, the only people with whom His favor rests, it's not the good people, it's not the righteous people, it's not the church-going people, the religious people, or the, the tithing people, the baptized people. It's not those people. It is the forgiven people. God's favor rests on those people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. Those are the people on whom His favor rests. So what the Bible is teaching here is that Jesus has come to bring peace, and the peace He's talking about is peace with God. The primary peace that is spoken of here is about peace with God. God. Now, I know this might be a little bit difficult, this concept to think about at Christmas, because Christmas is all about feeling good, right? We want to feel warm and fuzzy and lights and all that stuff, and that's good. But the Bible has a very clear message that apart from faith in Jesus, you and I are not at peace with God. In fact, you know what the Bible says? It says we are enemies of God. That is the natural state of every human being, to be an enemy of God. That's not because God doesn't like us, it's because He's holy and because we're sinners and our sinful presence can't come into His holy presence. And the Bible says that every single one of us, we are born with a sinful nature and throughout our life that nature just grows out of us into sinful attitudes and sinful thoughts and sinful actions. We are by nature sinners who are at odds with God. We are His enemies. And apart from a miraculous work of Jesus in our lives, we will live and die as enemies of God and face an eternal punishment that we rightly deserve. That is the reality. Now, it's hard for us to think about that because a lot of us say, well, that's not me. not like that bad of a person. But we have to come to grips with what the Bible teaches. And I heard this news story a a, a while back about a guy in the state of California in the U.S. And this guy was uh, doing something that maybe you've done. 
he was uh, what they call ego surfing, which means it's when you Google your own name. Anyone ever done that? Oh, don't raise your hand. It'll be embarrassed, right? But maybe you've done this. You, you kind of look yourself up and say, I wonder what the World Wide Web has to say about me if I put my name into Google. And so that's what this guy was doing. And he was shocked because as he was Googling his name, you know what came up? He was on his uh, area, the, the northern region of California, he was on their most wanted criminals list. And he thought, and dear? What? He was shocked. And he said, this, this certainly can't be mean. He looked, and it was not only his name, but his birth date, his home address. It was him. He said, why am I on the most wanted list? And so being a, a good guy, he went into the police station. He said, hey, I'm here. I, I just saw I'm on the most wanted list. And they looked it up. They said, yeah, and they immediately arrested him. And they take him back into jail. And, and the policeman comes, and they're interviewing him. And uh, he said, I, I'm totally confused. And, he, and the policeman looks up the records and he says, were you at this address on the evening of whatever uh, in, in 2014? And the guy says, yeah, that's my friend's house. I was there. And all of a sudden, this guy starts remembering that sadly, many years before, this guy was, a, was an alcoholic. He struggled deeply. And apparently what had one, happened one night was that he was drinking and got so drunk, he got into a fight with one of his friends. And in anger, they started uh, fighting and he pulls out a gun and he starts shooting bullets into the air through the roof of the house and into the neighborhood, and then he runs off. And this guy went home and blacked out and didn't remember any of it. But they made a police report, and this guy's name went on the list. And for several years now, he'd been a wanted criminal and didn't even realize it. You know, for some of us, we're in that same situation. If you were to Google your name on the records of heaven, you would see the sad red mark that doesn't say righteous, it says sinner. Because apart from faith in Jesus, that's where all of us are. But the good news is this, that God loves us so much that He made a way for us to be reconciled to Him, to be at peace with Him. And it's not through our good works or our efforts, it's through Jesus Christ. And that's what the angels were celebrating that night. Now, again, if you think I'm just being overly harsh here, like, man, this guy's a jerk on Christmas, calling me an enemy of God, who is he? Just look what Scripture says quickly here. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So good? So far? All right. For if while we were God's enemies, dang it. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more have we been reconciled? Shall we live through this life? You see, yes, we have peace with God. And the reason we needed peace is because we were enemies. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, same thing. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Again, we were separated from God. We were alienated. We were his enemies. And yet through Christ, now we can be presented holy, clean, without blemish, without accusation. Our record really is clean. Now, because of Jesus, we who were enemies can be brought into a full shalom relationship with God. 
where nothing is broken, nothing is lost, everything is as it should be. So when the Bible talks about peace, this is the primary meaning. That you and I were enemies of God, headed for a destiny of judgment and punishment. And yet in the miraculous birth of Jesus, now we have the hope of peace. Before we move on, let me just pause here and ask every one of you here, are you at peace with God? I don't want to just assume that because you're sitting in church on Sunday that you're in a right relationship with God. Because coming to church doesn't put you at peace with God. Following rules, being a nice person doesn't make you at peace with God. The only thing that does that is to put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you're here this morning and you've not actually done that, or maybe you're not really sure, let me encourage you, come talk to myself, one of the other elders, one of the pastors here. Talk to them about that because we want nothing more at this Christmas. The greatest gift you can receive at Christmas is the gift of peace with God. And you can have it today. But you know, this peace with God is not the end of the story. It's the first, it's the primary, it's the most important thing, but it doesn't end there. Because what about those other types of peace I talked about earlier? What about that inner peace, that emotional peace we want? What about peace with one another? Does God not care about those things? Of course He does. But what we have to understand is that those things come as a result of peace with God. You can't conjure up some sense of inner peace by getting connected with yourself or the universe or whatever. Doesn't work that way. You can't have peace with other people if you don't have peace with God. And so first, we have to start with peace with God, but then flowing out of that, when we rightly understand and embrace those realities, that leads to peace in other areas of our life as well. So first, when we have peace with God, what that leads to is peace with ourselves. See, when rightly understood and applied, our peace with God leads us to that inner peace, to that emotional peace, to that peace with ourselves. You see, as we as, as, as Christians, we live in kind of this weird state, right? This weird place where we are forgiven, we're, we're made right with God, and we know our eternal home, but we're not there yet. And so even though I am considered perfectly right in God's eyes, I still live in a broken world. And there's brokenness and pain all around me, and I'm still broken. I still have the flesh, which just clings to me. And so we have these sinful desires that, that for many of us, we hate these things, but they're just there and they cling to us. And it creates this inner tension between who we want to be and who we really are, right? And, and that tension, that's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, oh, wretched man that I am. Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do and I can't seem to do the things that I want to do, right? We live in this, in this place of, of inner turmoil because we are not yet in heaven. And yet we want to find that, that inner peace. We also live in this, in this hard place where we know God is good, we know He's sitting on His throne, we know He's in control, and yet I still worry and have anxiety and fear. What about this? What about that? We worry about our jobs, we worry about our finances, we worry about our kids, we worry about our health, we worry about the government, we worry about the economy. We have all of these worries 
And it, it, it's a legitimate thing to be uh, concerned about these things, but what it does is it stirs up within us this anxiety, these fears. So again, we know the truth on a certain level, but there seems to be a disconnect between what we know and what we experience, between who we want to be, who we know we should be, and who we really are. And all of that brings this inner sense of turmoil and, and dysfunction. So, if we want to begin to experience that inner peace, again, it's not through getting connected to the universe or something like that. It's when we really stop and we meditate that on this deep, profound truth that even in my brokenness, even in my failure, even in my pain, even in my anxieties and my worries about life, God loves me and He has forgiven me and I am at peace with God him. And when we really stop to remember that, it's meant to give us this deep sense of calm. Not because our circumstances have changed or because we're so great, but because when we view our lives through that grid, that the, the fundamental part of who I am is that I was an enemy of God and now I'm at peace with God, that changes everything. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. God says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, when you come to Christ, all of your problems are going to go away, Christian. Everything's going to be minimum chigodidim. It doesn't say that. It says, when you have chigodidim, when you have problem. It's okay, so what should you do with that? Bring it to God. Say, God, I, I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling tempted, I'm feeling worried, I'm feeling whatever it is. Bring it to God, and when you properly put it into its right perspective, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will fill your heart. It will begin to control your mind, guard your mind. Jesus said the same thing, John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus was telling his disciples, who were about to face a really bad time, by the way. He said, I've told you these things so that in, ye, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. You want a promise from Jesus? There it is. Put that in the plaque on your wall, right? Jesus says, you're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus says to them, hey, life's going to be hard. Deal with it. It's a reality. But listen, you can still have my peace. And is this just some generic sense of optimism or like, just feel good, buddy? No, it's because Jesus says, because I have overcome. Do you understand that, Christian? There is nothing you're facing in your life, nothing that you will ever face that Jesus did not defeat at the cross. Jesus defeated sin and death and all the powers of hell on the cross. So there's nothing you face that Jesus does not have victory over. And we need to remind ourselves that though we feel this reality, our relationship with God is secure. And we have peace with Him for all of eternity. And that's what leads to inner peace. That perspective is what we need. So let me ask you here, if you're a Christian here this morning, are you experiencing that? 
Is your life characterized by that inner sense of well-being and wholeness and peace? And if not, why not? Now, I know that there's, this is a complicated issue and emotional pain is, is very difficult and challenging, but I want you to understand that often we don't experience that because we have not properly fixed our eyes on the truth and believe the truth that though I was an enemy of God, now I am at peace with Him. And so let me encourage you to just meditate on that truth. When you find yourself facing a challenge and that anxiety wells up, that temptation wells up, remind yourself of that truth. And the peace of God that passes all understanding can come to you. And finally, even more than inner peace, emotional peace, when we truly grasp this wondrous reality that we were enemies and now we're at peace with God, that should move us to pursue peace with others. How can we be people who come to church and praise and worship God and say, God, amazing grace, you've forgiven me, thank you. But I hate that guy. But yet that's what we do. So often we've become content to live in a state of conflict with other people. Maybe we know it's wrong, but we just can't seem to shake it. We live in this, this turmoil of relational conflict. But Jesus says, if you're really part of my kingdom, Jesus said, in my kingdom, blessed are the peacemakers. We should be the type of people that when we walk into the room, people say, oh good, Tesfai's here. Whenever he comes in, he just brings peace to the situation. I'm so glad he's here. Oh man, here comes Ruth. Whenever she's here, the drama just tends to melt away. I'm so glad she's here. You want to be those kind of people? Or do you want to be the kind of person that people say, oh boy, here comes Steve. Ugh. Things were going fine. Now there's going to be drama. You see, the Bible says we are supposed to be people that out of our forgiveness from God, we are supposed to exude peace, extend peace to others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. He says, if you're a Christian, get rid of all this anger and backbiting and gossiping and, and holding on to bitterness. Get rid of all that. It doesn't make any sense for you because you have been forgiven by God. How can you now hold on to bitterness against someone else? Colossians 3 says the same thing. Uh, chapter 3, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. Again, we are called to extend peace, to be peacemakers, to be agents of reconciliation, not out of some altruistic do-gooder desire, but because we recognize that I have been forgiven. And no matter how much this person has hurt me, no matter how badly that person spoke to me or harmed me or did whatever they did, it's nothing compared to what I have done to God. And yet God looked at me and I was his enemy and he has forgiven me. And that is supposed to lead us to extend peace to others. 
So again, this morning, Christian, let me ask you, is that sort of peace, that sort of shalom with others, is that what characterizes your life? Or are you more characterized by bitterness, by conflict, by fighting, by anger? If that's the case, why is that? Again, I know some people have faced and are facing right now very difficult relational challenges. You have genuinely been hurt by people in your life, and it's easy to hold on to that. But if you're struggling to forgive, it could be that you have forgotten the wonderful, amazing reality that you and I were enemies of God, destined for hell, and He forgave us. And that is supposed to lead us to forgive others. So again, if you're struggling to do that, let that that truth sink deep into your heart, and I pray it will begin to change you. Let me end with this. Uh, in World War II, or World War I, excuse me, World War I, it was an incredibly painful war where more than 20 million people died. Millions of people. It's crazy to think of that number. 20 million people died. And yet, do you know, in the midst of all those millions of people have died, we actually know the very last person that died in that conflict. And we know the time where he died and the exact place where he died. You know why that is? You see, near the end of, of World War I, they had finally made peace. They had created this armistice agreement, and they had signed the peace treaty. And the peace treaty was uh, officially going to go into effect on November 11, 1918, at exactly 11 o'clock a.m., well, as there was a, you know, a little bit of a gap between when the peace treaty was signed and when it officially went into effect. And so during those last couple of weeks, the soldiers all knew peace was coming. They were excited, and they were sort of wrapping things up and looking forward to the end of this war, and they were kind of going back to these towns to celebrate the, the end of the war. Well, there was a, a man named Henry Gunthry, and he was an American soldier, and he was part of a platoon that was uh, headed back toward this town in, in northeast France. And, and they were all happy because the war was coming to an end. And, and as they were going toward that town, early in the morning, on the morning of November 11th, they encountered a German motorcade that was doing the same thing. And the Germans were also headed toward this town. And they kind of, their paths intersected on this road. Now, everyone else kind of realized, okay, uh, the war is literally over in a short period of time. It's going to be okay. But unfortunately, Henry Gunthery, we don't know what happened to him, whether he was filled with anger and hatred or bitterness or just confused. For whatever reason, at 10.59 a.m., he gets out his rifle and he starts charging toward the Germans. Rifle rays pointed at them, yelling at them. At 10.59. And the German soldiers start waving him off saying, stop, stop, it's over. They're yelling, peace, peace. But he ignored them. And as he got close, they had no alternative but to shoot him dead in his tracks. And so Henry Gunthery died at 10.59 a.m. And at 11 a.m., the armistice officially began. It's a sad, tragic story, isn't it? And yet I think you and I 
do the exact same thing. We live in this state where genuine peace has been earned through Jesus. We've not yet fully experienced it because that won't fully come until heaven. But right now we live in this time where peace has been won. It is ours to have. We can have peace with God. We can have inner peace. We can have relational peace. And yet some of us, maybe out of anger, maybe out of bitterness, maybe out of confusion, we are just like Henry. We are running headlong into conflict, refusing to acknowledge that peace is there for us. And this morning, during this Christmas season, let me encourage you to stop running, to surrender to the peace that God has given you in the person of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, you're running into eternal consequences. So let me encourage you. My prayer is that this morning you can have that same heart of rejoicing that the angels had. Where you can say, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth because you have experienced peace with God. That's my prayer for you. Amen. God in heaven, I thank you for uh, this time. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for that glorious message of the angels and what it teaches us. And God, my prayer is for every person in this room that they would experience peace with you. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that doesn't yet know you as their Savior. God, would even now you draw them to yourself. God, would you open up their hearts to their truth. Holy Spirit, show them that you love them, that you have earned peace for them. And I pray that their hearts would respond to you even now. And God, I pray for any Christian here today that, that knows you as their Savior but is not experiencing inner peace or relational peace. They are not walking in the peace that is theirs to have. God, would you help them to be blown away again by the glorious truth of the salvation we have through Jesus Christ. I pray that their hearts would be filled with awe and wonder at the truth that while we were enemies of God, you came to this world and you died for us so that we could have life. And I pray that we would become people that are so filled with your peace that it just flows out of our life to peace with others. Lord Jesus, we recognize we cannot do this on our own. We are helpless and weak in ourselves. We need you. And so God, we ask for your strength and your mercy and your blessing so that we can be people that live in peace. And we ask it in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen.